right, so last week we covered verses 1 through 7, 8, kind of ended around there. Let me just give you a review. It sets up where we'll pick up. So the exhortation was to reconcile with your brethren. There were some differences and some things that had come about within the body of Christ, within the local gatherings. And they were encouraged, hey, work these things out. Let your gentleness be known to all men. In other words, let your kindness be seen. Let your love be expressed. Going on, there was this exhortation and this reminder to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to let your requests be made known to God. The the beautiful result of that relational truth was that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would then guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Picking up in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's take this first couple of verses and let's just look into those a little deeper. Let's see if we could maybe God-directed application for our lives. We see there in verse 8 these this sense of put your mind upon these things in the latter part of that verse it speaks of to meditate it's really the root word is where we get our our english word logic Um, it means to count uh, to compute to take into account meditate speaks of you know to consider these things what things those things that are true and honest noble just, lovely, good report. Have you ever found that your your thinking has a big effect upon your attitude? You ever notice that? You know, stinking thinking tends to take you downhill. And when we get caught up in certain things, we 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 kind of we almost it's almost like you start squinting and closing your eyes and bringing it in, and this is all I can see. And actually, the word is very practical, very real. God's instruction is, it doesn't say that there's not negative, downer, bummer things going on. It just says, look broader. Learn to see what these situations cloud and and cause kind of a blocking. Learn to see the things that are still there. Consider would be when you're weighed down by things like, you know, dishonesty, deception, unjust information, and situations. If you've read the news, if you've caught the clips, if you've scrolled through the reels, you realize there's a lot in this world that just weighs you down. There's a lot of things out there that can really be disruptive to logic. But when you're facing those and dealing with those, because they're real, it's not like they're not, oh, people are just, you know, headlining or writing conspiracies or whatever. Well, they're doing that. But there's still other truth out there. You want to take into account, according to this passage, what is true and, and what is honest and what is just and what is lovely and what is of good report and, and what is virtuous and, and what is praiseworthy. Meditate. Contemplate on these. 
I did a, spend a little time, as you can tell here, with this word because I believe the word got hijacked by Eastern religion. Meditation, when it's, it's oriented upon a religious system and relying upon a human response, look into a human discipline and human practices to generate a human relief, is disastrous because it removes God and puts everything upon this realm. So I, can we, you know, see what I'm saying? Like meditation, the word just got hijacked because of the emphasis maybe even decades ago. But it's a very important word for you and me to learn to chew on, to contemplate and consider. These things over here are heavy and, and difficult. Yet nevertheless, these still happen. These good things, we would say, really are present. And, and the Bible tells you and me in Corinthians, tells us, I think it's 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, let me say it this way. Where the mind wanders, the body will follow. We, we start wandering into this kind of a downer mode, and, and our, our, we'll respond. But if we say, wait a minute, this is not the power of positive thinking. It's not you know self-promotion. It's just the simplicity and the reality of learning to look to God even when things are difficult learning to see what's true and how things are. It's not a spin. It's not that you're just, you know, kind of make it look better. It's literally saying, okay, I, I think there's some really good things happening here. There's things taking place at this time that I need to be aware of. And notice in verse 9, as he encourages those in Philippi, he's writing from jail, Paul is, and he's encouraging them to have this right perspective, which the reason I mention his location and his situation is he's writing exhortation and encouragement, a letter of joy, while he's incarcerated unjustly and wrongfully. And he'll spend, I, I believe, well, more, well over a year there incarcerated for his relief. Yet his attitude is like, you know what, there's this, things are not as bad. I can make them real bad, but they're not. Well, I want to just make sure I'm encouraging you, hey, just meditate on these things. And notice in verse 9, he says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Place yourself around godly examples. That's really what the message to the church is in the sense of when you're born again, when you've received that forgiveness through the, the gift of life through Jesus Christ, you're a new creation, you're, 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 you're a new life. You're not just learning religion. You know, some people they learn religion. But no, no, this is different. This is a new relationship with God, born again. Place yourself around godly examples. Learn by observation. Learn by conversation. Learn by interaction. It really is, you know, it's fascinating because conversation, observation, and interaction are at great risk right now in our culture. The, the, the live version, the face-to-face -face reality, is getting hijacked or replaced by screen time, by, by digital dialogue, by keyboard courage. And I'm not saying those, you know, the, the digital side is bad. I just say it's not a replacement for face-to-face -face engagement. It's not a replacement for learning how to interact. Okay, this is a weird question. It maybe hasn't happened to you. But suppose you're talking with somebody, and you're face-to-face, -face and they say something that you disagree with. I know maybe it's never happened. But when you disagree with them, 
and you're on a keyboard, you can go, and you can type a pleasant response. But when you interact face-to-face, you look childish, right? There's a reality. There's something that's gained by this visual engagement where you're learning to nod. And, you know, like some of you, I can tell you've trained yourself to appear to be tracking along where you actually are. Others of you have no concern about that. You're like, all right, 20 minutes, I'm in. (laughs) Just kidding. The fact is, you see what I'm saying? This live engagement is essential for for really joy, for for understanding one another. We're we're being encouraged to engage and interact. I love it when I have to... Yeah, I had to think if that's true because I didn't want to lie. I love it when I have to admit I'm wrong. Because it causes you to say, well, I guess there might be another way to do something. I, I went fishing with two other guys last week, and we were in the same boat for a long time. And both of them don't know what they're doing. But the problem is they're the only ones catching fish. I wasn't. <laughs> so I had to agree, well, maybe they know what they're doing. You see what I'm saying? There, there's just some things that are just so deep-seated. We have to go, wait a minute. Learn to interact. I, I, I've learned so much from, from my children, from engaging with the congregation, from being with people that are just young in the Lord, babes in Christ, the Bible would say, and, and they share such an exuberance and excitement, an understanding, a grasp, a simple faith that I'm challenged. Like, wow, that's beautiful. That's what I want. So you see, place yourself around godly examples. Second uh, Timothy in chapter 2 the start of the chapter, verse 1, Timothy is encouraged to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and to share that grace with other men. Why do I mention that? We don't need to gather and share our own versions of the law. We don't need to be security cops in the body of Christ telling other people how to get their act together. We ultimately need to learn from one another how to experience unmerited favor and undeserved kindness and take that unmerited and undeserved kindness and allow it to be a strength that is showered out or shining onto the people around us. Notice it says, as we we glanced at in verse uh, 6 and 7, specifically there uh, in verse 7, the peace of God, it's a result of this trusting in God, But here in verse 9, it's the God of peace. See, when we're told to be anxious for nothing, learn to trust in him, we experience that peace. And and it's a reminder to you and me, it's it's the God of peace who is with you. That peace with God is a product of a closeness with God. Does that make sense? It's not just something that's just kind of like a a season of like, you know, good weather for a few days and then something else and that peace is gone. When God is with you, that peace is possible for you. It's very important, I believe, to to grasp and take hold of. Let's move along in our study. Paul is sharing with the church he had history with, he had some time with, and he was he's he's now sharing it very candidly. And I believe this is not meant to be just ex- the exclusivity, which would be between the very first century, this peop- the people in Philippi and Paul. It wasn't just their personal letter. It's preserved as, a, as functionally a body letter for all of us to learn from. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord that now at your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, 
but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So let's break that down a little bit in a very practical way. You know what? I think what we want to do is keep reading. Let me, let's read through. Um, let me check here. I think I want to go a little further. Yeah, we'll make that far. Yeah, we'll make it that far. Yeah, we ain't going to get that far. Well, I'll stop when I do. Verse, verse uh, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you, yes, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. All right, I wanted to read that portion as we begin our discussion, or our, our dialogue, or no, neither one of those, because you don't get to talk back, uh, are, are, are looking at um, verses 10 through 12 and on. So Paul rejoices greatly because at last their care has flourished again. So let's take this apart. They have, as we've seen from the extended verses we looked at, they have been financially supportive. They have been graciously engaged with the work God would do in the life of Paul. They, they were a part of it. But there came a point where some of the things they were able to do regularly, they, they weren't able to do. And now they've been able to begin doing it again. So let's consider, you know, he says that you, you are now able to care for me. Though you did care, but you lacked opportunity there in verse 10. Care for speaks to consider another, um, to to uh, to come alongside in concern and support. So they are concerned and supportive of the work God is doing in Paul's life. They get to participate in what's coming through his hands and through his voice, and now it's flourished again. Paul says, which means it's a real simple term. Just speaks to sprout up, to be green again, to to, to grow again. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state to be content. So what he's saying is so beautiful, is God has designed this within the body of Christ, that we would be aware of what he's doing, and we'd partner, participate in that work he's doing. Paul is acknowledging, hey, I've been able to do these things. And he's not in any way kind of being rude. You've seen that from the latter part we read. I'm not dependent upon you. I'm not a dependent, but I do have needs. Yet at the same time, I, I've seen how this works when you're able to support, when you're able to do these things, and, and, and then we see everything working together. He said he's learned to be content. Verse 11, he learned to be content. Speaks of, um, well, happiness, there's a difference between happiness and contentment. 
um, happiness is often oriented, you know, around acquisition, uh, receiving something, say a gift, a payment, um, beneficial circumstances. Whereas content, this is interesting, content speaks of undisturbed by desire. You have interests and needs and even desire, but when you're content, you're not disturbed by them. And I think most of us, there's, we work through these seasons. There's just going to be our kind of reference point here for a few minutes. Is we are going through seasons. And it's really important to learn in the season that you're in. It's really where Paul takes us. Content, as Paul speaks up here, is because of your closeness to God. Content because he has supplied all that you need. When we can just settle that back down amidst all the wants and opportunities and desires and drives and dreams in our culture, amidst all of those, we want to just come right back down to, okay, but nonetheless, Paul says, I've, been, I've learned to be content. In what areas? Well, in verse 12, I, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. He has learned, and he says, to take hold of these things. You understand a learning process. You go through one situation, and you maybe grasp a few things, and you embed them in your your character, who you are. Or you look back on them and go, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do it that way next time. I want to learn from that so that as I continue on, I can be prepared the next time I approach it. So knowledge is needed, as we see from verse 12, in both of these areas. He breaks it down in in this text, of course, to two areas, abased. Paul had seasons of his life where he was, he uses this word abased, and it speaks of when you're lacking a certain portion of the basic necessities, even could speak of brought low through current life realities. Abased speaks of also um, humbled, uh, even a sense of humiliation. Is it possible God-fearing Christians who are led by God and cared for by God and nurtured by God would go through humiliating life experiences? It is very possible. I would suggest even probable at one point. There's, There's literally millions of believers living outside of the protective boundaries of Western civilization that are literally in captivity and treated terribly. And they are lacking many of the most basic things. But ironically, many of them, in their soul, they're richer than they've ever known. I had opportunity multiple times to to go minister and be a part of the work God's doing in India through through our connection, our, our support, and what we're doing there, if you would. And to see people who live very uh, poor, literally, in what we would call by all measures poverty. But I remember in this one family, we visited them. It was a 10 by 12 room, which was their house of four. So four people lived in a 10 by 12 room. That was everything, kitchen, everything. And I remember walking in and just kind of so- just soaking in some of this you know, sensory shock, if you would, because, you know, the orders are different, everything's different. But what caught my attention as I walked in was this phenomenal smile on their faces. 
And it wasn't because big, tall, white guys showed up. You know, it, it was, that wasn't it. it. They just had a joy about themselves. They had a contentment about themselves. They knew. They literally were so excited because rice was provided enough that will get them through two to three days. I didn't say meat like chicken or something like we would think is normal every day. Rice. And, and it, I'm not trying to, like, make it look like deep poverty is a deeper spirituality. Paul's just teaching and showing you, and I, when, I, when I've had these times, I've learned to deal with them. I've learned to be abased, even when current life realities are disturbing. Abounding speaks of when we have abundance beyond the basic necessities. So let's just be real practical. Too often, I know from my own life observation and engaging with many of you, you know, we don't always learn what we need to learn in the season that we're in. And it's so important that we, we learn to learn, learn what we can in that season that we're living in. Let me just make it real simple. It's a simple analogy. If you were more athletic and did more things in your 20s, don't do it in your 60s. Your mind says you can. You have great memory. Well, you have some memory. So you're convinced you can. But your muscular response, your body response, your rate of recovery is way different. So it just it's, you learn, like, yeah, I can't do it the way I used to do it. I love my background is racing motocross. I loved it. I just now said it the way it is. I loved it. Past tense. It's still a great memory. It's still an entertaining idea. No, don't do it that way because I'm not in that season. It's a good season that I'm in. It was a good season back then. Learn from the season you're in. When we are in a season of lack, maybe it's money, food, shelter, we can easily slip into discontentment, correct? Be unhappy, maybe complaining, noticing what's missing, critical, maybe judgmental, looking at other people with a little different attitude, rather than being um, thankful and patient and participating. You know, when we're in a state of poverty, there are times we still got to go to work or we need to get a job or different things are not. The poverty isn't necessarily because of that, but the, the element of doing something by trusting God, putting feet on your, your, your faith and, and learning to live according to God's direction, it changes, you know, this kind of a downer mode we can slip into. Likewise, in the seasons of a season of abundance, we can tend to hold on to more to guard against possible poverty, ultimately to become more self-minded when we had, than when we had nothing. Well, I, I want to make sure I have more for these later years. I want to have this, and, and next thing you know, we can inadvertently be coming, doing this. So let me ask you. You've, you. I've given you the context, so it's not just like the preacher's going to jump on the whole bandwagon about cash. It's literally the context is, is addressing Paul was the recipient. The gospel message went forward. The truth was proclaimed. And everyone, even in Philippi, was a participant in it. And he learned some things. And he told us, I've learned these things. And I believe someone tells me this is what I've learned because they want me to learn from what they've learned. Correct? If someone says, hey, well, I've learned this through that, you don't go, whatever, I'm not you. You hopefully go, hmm. And then me avoid some pain, learn from their pain, let it be my gain. I'm going to go this route. Well, let's cut, consider a few things. What season, and this is just private, personal, but given publicly, 
What season are you in? What are you learning in regards to honoring and obeying God concerning giving? Because I can just tell you, this collection of people and those who are joining us online and just simple demographics and probabilities we could even say, some are in a season of poverty. Poor health, perhaps. Uh, low cash flow. Struggling. Yet they're close to God. Content even in suffering. Learning to be gracious even when life is difficult. That, that's just, we can agree, right? There's some that are in that state. Some have plenty. They're in a, a season of, that they abound. They have plenty and have learned to honor God with what's entrusted to them. So we have those who start and have in this season very little in many ways. And then you have those that maybe have, we could say, have an abundance. There's still learning to honor God, learning from it. But also there are those times when we don't learn. We do not learn in the season we're in. Some get drawn down in the days of poverty. We get caught up in what is lacking and become reluctant to meditate upon the things that are true and right and just and lovely and of good report and praiseworthy. And my encouragement, oh, that we would learn in the season we are in. The season of poverty, learn to not just praise God with your words, but with your heart and realize his presence. Now, some are in the season of plenty and are reluctant to honor God in that season. I have, you know, people say sometimes, I like the way Dan approaches it because he kind of gets right down to where the rubber meets the road. This is not that day that people walk away going, yeah, thank you for talking about money. And, and I really was hoping somebody would mention something about that to me. I just know reality. There, there's just different things in our lives. We're like, oh, man, can we skip it? No. No, we're here. The text takes us to it. We're going to walk through it. Because see, sometimes in our season of plenty, we're reluctant to honor God in that season. Historically in the church, this is not just localized. This is not something that is relying upon my personal experience or observation. This is just a, it's a truth. It's a historical fact. Many who attend well and talk well are not doing well. What do I mean? In part, it's because they've justified their old way of living, and are distracted by selfishness and greed. Oh, how we need to learn to live in the season of abundance. I'll just share from you from my own life personally. I don't want to make it sound like I've got this all figured out or I've, I don't relate to it, but for myself and with many others, there was a time in my life when giving is something that I would, I would negotiate with God. Do you guys understand the negotiation process? It's very private, very personal. You just, you know, it's almost as if I God expects too much or he's kind of, he's a little above suggested retail. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, if you find yourself negotiating with God about giving, stop and ask yourself, I say it this way, yourself, just ask yourself, why am I reluctant to give? Why am I reluctant to give? It's a very personal question. If he's given his principles and truth, and he has, then we should walk according to those truths in all areas. And so why am I reluctant to give? 
This was my experience when I worked through this question early on as a Christian. Now, after you work through your list of explanations, because when I say that, God, why am I reluctant to give? I think it's because of this and then this, and but I do this and I, I help here and I, I do these things. So therefore, you know, I kind of, you know, after you ask the question and, and present your explanations, I want then then stop long enough to ask this question. Why am I so reluctant to give? It's the same question. What's the difference? Well, only this time you're listening. Have you ever found that to be the case sometimes? When you ask, I say something, well, you know, why is it like this? I think it's good. And we start, the brain just, whatever it may be. And then you ask, but why is it like that? After we get done negotiating and explaining, pause long enough in the intimacy and the relationship you have with God, the love you know from him. God, why am I reluctant in this area? I believe sometimes it's, it's, um, it's something that's a carryover. So as a young Christian, and maybe in a season of poverty, in a base, you know, when you had lacking, you learn to manage just what you had. And then as you've entered into maybe a different season, you're still kind of in the same principle, the same process. That's why I say some who, who attend well and talk well are not doing well because this area has been a, a point where it's, like a, it's got a grip on them. I, really key, you know, I could talk about tithing and, and giving and offering and we could get into all that and we will at some point. But today I want to take you to an essential key concerning giving, concerning, you know, not, not the mathematical, not the percentage of the, of the monetary side, but it reveals more a percentage of the heart, if you would. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. If you want a little homework, read chapters 8 and 9. The beautiful um, detail and description and insight into this whole topic. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, concerning giving, and really a very similar comparison to what we're reading about in Philippians 4. But in verse 5, we find this. And, and not only as we had hoped, but they gave, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Did you catch that part? What they do first? What are we to do first? They gave themselves to the Lord, opened their heart and say, Lord, I'm yours. Not just in a, I wouldn't say pretentious, but a impractical way, but a genuine deep way. Like, Lord, I'm yours. I don't know how to work all these things out, but I want to give myself to you. And then notice what he says. And then, to us by the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? It really gets to the core, doesn't it? Give yourself to the Lord and then let him direct how to connect in in other ways in in this regards to this topic. So jump with me back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Very interesting, isn't it? How many of you have, have read that verse before or heard that verse? I read it on the bumper sticker of the car in front of you. It's a very popular verse. But do you realize this is the context? In regards to giving, in regards to walking in obedience, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I am struggling and things are in poverty and, and in deep disappointment, God is my strength. When I'm a season of, of, of abundance and abounding, 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It teaches you and me and reminds us that Christ is our strength in every season. Obedience to God strengthens you in your walk with God. That's the context of verse 13. Obedience with God strengthens you in your walk with God. He says, you know, I've learned to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. And then he reflects. This is actually, he's commending them after reminding them and, and acknowledging. He's commending them because he, Paul understood that you know, being generous and gracious benefited the giver perhaps more than the recipient. You guys know what took place in Philippi when I departed from Macedonia, even in Thessalonica, verse 16, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Jesus said something that's very interesting. It's better to give than to receive. And that that doesn't apply with like contagious flus. Okay, keep it to yourself. You understand what he's conveying. It's better, and it's not that it's like some competition or comparison. It's the reality that when you have stuff, there's not a problem. It's when the stuff has you, and all of a sudden it has to be mine. And you know, better to give than receive. Not foolishly, recklessly dispersing for some give to get mentality. But just realizing I'm a part of something that's taken place. I'm a part of this. I get to be a part of this. Because they were a part of what God had done. The Philippians, we see in verse 18, were a big part of Paul being able to present the gospel and to raise up disciples. You know, this chapter 4 started with him saying, you are my joy and crown. There was such a deep relationship, and it was because there was a, not just a reciprocation, and you scratch your back, I'll scratch, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, but a, a deeper understanding of what God's doing. He's equipped some to go out. He's equipped some to support them. He's equipped some for this and others for that. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He supplies, as you can see, out of his riches. It's out of his riches. Perfect provision in perfect timing out of his abundant wealth. God is not stingy. And I want to encourage you, learn to see and know his provision in all seasons. When you're going through it, it's hard to agree with it initially. But my experience, and I believe I can show to you to be a biblical proof, in other words, the truth, those times of poverty and lacking, I've grown very deep spiritual roots. I've really found myself to have nothing else but hoping God. When I get done trying to work harder and take on a second job and do all the stuff that I can do, and all I find myself is in debt. And realizing, learning how to trust God in the daily provision and how he would take care of things and meeting emotional needs, meeting relational needs, taking care of food and shelter. It's those times when you see this this deep work of God in your life. And it's, it's not required. It's not like that's the only time you can learn. It's just that I've noticed that's those are the times. Now, I want to learn how to let those roots grow. If there's a season of abounding, 
I want to learn how to let those roots grow just as deep. It comes from praise and recognizing God is the one who provides. He equips us and enables us to work and to to do certain things in our culture and to be effective and to manage you know resources in a way that honors him and experience his faithfulness in either season. So beautiful. He supplies out of his riches. He's not stingy. Let's wrap it up with verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Notice the unity within the body. Notice what he's saying. Just greet one another. Recognize what God's doing in each other's lives. Be an encouragement. The people that are here, there with Paul in jail, say hello. But especially those who were watching over him as they worked for that secular government called Rome. He was incarcerated, and those of Caesar's household were coming to to faith in Christ because of his incarceration, because of his presence there. Now, you could admit, I think Paul would say, you too, we could admit, if I was in that situation and they said, hey, you're free to go, we're gone. All right, this season's open, over. God opened the door for me to move along. But if he kept the, the kept you there for a purpose and you see fruit, would you not be willing to say, God, I, this is difficult. This is a hard season. But praise be to you, these people that I would have never connected with, I've never would have known. I never they would I they would have, I've never would have been with them through their hardship. I would have never been able to share the truth of the gospel with them. Thank you that I'm here. You see what's so beautiful? He said, hey, man, welcome. I, I, when I read this, I get encouraged. Like, man, he was in a hard thing, in a hard spot. And yet his light, the light of God was shining through him in such a way that those in Caesar's household were coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What a powerful thing. So, hey, I would like you to, um, we're going to close in a, a little, just a slight variation, not really big difference. But I want to have a, a time where you can, have just we'll have time of prayer and praise, but I want you to be able to collect or, or take hold of of what God has shown you today. I, it's amazing to me how when we experience His truth, we experience this liberation. It's almost like you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, or something like that. It's like you experience, man, what a great thing! And so, as He's shown you things, I, I want you to be able to make the commitment, the adjustments. Um, learning to love God in this season of your life. And so what we'll do, you know, as the worship team obviously is here, um, if you want to stand with me, I'll give you what the variation will be. And it's just simple. If you want to just, where you're at, just stand there and pray privately, quietly to yourself and just to the Lord, I mean. Or perhaps you may want to come up front and there's something on your heart you'd like to, you know, pray with somebody concerning that. We'll have uh, Kim and Jonah will be off over here to my left to pray with you. And so you can come up to the stage or here, maybe you're kind of at that point, like, okay, service is over. I kind of want to go chew on this. Please, please, please. Don't let what God has unearthed and opened up in your heart be something that you lose track of by Monday morning. Let it be something that you, you, you take hold of and you meditate on that and you chew on it and see what God would show you and, and what you would do. So we're going to pray and then we'll sing a song of worship together. But that's what, we won't have the lyrics up. We'll bring the lights down a little. That'll be that time of just reflection and prayer and moving up if you'd like. Sound good? We good?
All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Thank you what you teach us. And as even as we consider the prayer out of chapter one, may it be our request too, that our love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that we may approve the things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense till the day you return, Jesus. By your grace and your love that we'd be filled with the fruits of righteousness which come from you and are by you to your glory. And we praise you. Lord, we just take this time to ponder and consider, to take hold of and grip those things that you've made known to us individually. Thank you that we can gather in this place. Thank you that we can praise you and we just sing to you with joy and adoration. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.